Well, hello again, friends. Welcome to the Make 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 podcast episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of the Make 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 podcast. Today, we have Miss Daniela with us today. Daniela, if you could tell people where they can find you and uh, kind of what you do. Uh, okay, great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, you can find me in a number of places um, on Instagram, Daniela Masters Wine. I also have a personal website uh, full of study resources and a blog called DaniellaMastersWine.com. Um, you can find me at the ATX Wine School on Instagram or um, the Texas Wine School.com. So there's a few side projects Yay. for sure. And then I'm rebranding and my company is going to be called Vintrigue. And once I buy the URL and post the new site, that'll be VintrigueTX.com. Cool. So for those who don't know, what, what do you do? I am, what don't I do these days? Um, I'm in wine. So um, I have been involved in pretty much every sector of the wine industry from distribution to viticulture to vinification, which is winemaking, uh, to branding and marketing for wineries. Uh, and now finally, I've decided what I wanted to be when I grew up, which is a wine educator. It's, I love it so much. It's my favorite. That's so, awesome. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. We, we, you know, we obviously take photos, but our photo journey has ended in me doing a lot of teaching now as well. Mm-hmm. So photo education is just fun being able to take that next step and not only do the work for myself, but then to outfit people with the tools so they can go and enjoy and then my work gets multiplied out by what everybody else can do. So That's exactly it. And I think, especially in wine, it's people have the tendency to look at wine. And uh, I was listening to another podcast and one of the guys uh, who was also, he was a wine journalist. He said, people, when I tell them I'm in wine, they automatically apologize as if they're supposed to know a bunch about wine and it's so empowering to be able to teach these people and then also tell them it's grape juice. Like it's <laughs> fermented. I mean, let's look at this in perspective. Right. We're not curing cancer. We're drinking grape juice or fermented grape juice. And so it's really fun because, um, it's not just teaching, you know, math where people don't really want to learn. They have to, I mean, the, you're, teaching them about a luxury product and they're getting kind of tipsy in the process and they want to be there. And I love it. I I love that so much. Yeah. I tell people, I I teach people how to push buttons. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Learn how to push each other's buttons with Josh Baker, right? That should be, yeah. Learn how to push buttons. Cause that's all I do, right? Maybe you should rename the podcast. (laughs) Pushing buttons with Josh Baker. Yeah. That'd be great. That's, that's essentially what we do, right? I'm either pushing your emotional button to get a response or I'm pushing a camera button to take the photo or well, both at the same time. You always evoke the happy emotional response for the record. And, mm. and hopefully that's uh, seen in our photographs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah. So the, tell I, what I want people to know, you gloss yeah. over very quickly. Um, but your journey, you said you had an interesting journey story and you've said all the different things. So, yeah. In a little bit more detail, how did you end up here? So um, I was a military brat and my family moved around, um, you know, my whole life. So every two to three years we'd move because my father was in the Air Force. He was a pilot. And eventually um, my mom, who's an entrepreneur, she always was doing something or another. Um, she wanted to start another company and she and her business partner decided to create a winery in Texas in Florence, Texas, which is about an hour North of here. And so we moved, um, she's 14 or 15 years ago. I forget. And, um, we established the vineyard Florence. So I, as a kid had to plant grapes and I was 15 and as a 15-year-old girl being made to move again and being up to her knees in mud, planting grapes, I wasn't very happy about it. I was pretty pissed off. <laughs> and I vowed never to get into wine. Um, 
until after college, I got offered a job as the wine distributor for the vineyard and I was working restaurants and I was just burnt out. And I was like, you know what, this will be the first step up. Um, so give me a foot in the door for a sales job or for a sales position. And I took it and I never looked back, but interestingly, um, after 13 years, we decided to dissolve our partnership and, um, I was jobless and this was 2017. I just left and I was like, it was the holy shit moment of, um, not having a job, not having a way forward. And, um, I just, I was like, okay, well, this is sink or swim. And like you, um, I fucking hated corporate America. (laughs) Um, You mentioned on a previous podcast, it was like they were taking a piece of your soul every day. That's why they pay you to get that soul. Well, that's exactly how I felt. I was offered a job that was really high paying and I just my I was so tempted because I was just didn't have any money I was in debt from paying for lofty wine certifications and so I was like fuck it was like Satan (laughs) sitting on your shoulder and going just take it the money's good the money's so good there's there's health insurance (laughs) and I just went I can't do this. I'm going to hate it. And so I took the, the, it was a consultation company that half-heartedly started on the side. And I made that full-time job and I was just anxious, so anxious in the process of going, how am I going to pay my bills Mm -hmm. and how is this going to work? And can I take every side job known to man? And eventually there was a burnout. I crashed hard because of kind of going away from the company. Felt like I lost my identity, was in debt, had to struggle, uh, was working, you know, all hours of the day, seven days a week, and was trying to finish up a certification that was equivalent to a master's degree and I just I crashed and that was it and I went I can't do this I'm so anxious I'm I felt depressed I was like you're a failure you're this and I eventually got a job in retail just to recoup and then during COVID uh got offered another position and that position let me go after two months Mm. and now I'm back in the same position and I feel so much better about it because you can survive and you can get through. And I did pay, I'm almost out of debt. And, um, so now I'm going to teach people how to meditate with wine. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like the like perfect Austin job. I know. Well, exactly. But I think there's a market for it, right? I mean, I think a, yeah, a with everything that's going on in the last six to nine months, um, everybody, I think everybody's a little burned out and frazzled and, I mean, I have, you know, I have two boys, right? I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old and we've been together every day yep. for since March and it's taken a toll. I'm not the only one. And there's a lot of us who are like, can I just like have a bottle of wine and some like quiet space and just, yep. I just want the world to go away for a little bit because the world just seems too close right now. Well, that's exactly Right. And that's what I've noticed. People are saying, you know, this is the hardest time of my life or I've never felt like this. Um, And during my stint in retail, COVID was hitting and people were drinking more than ever coming in and buying cases and cases of everything, spirits, beer, wine, you name it. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. This is how we're coping. This is how this is working. And alcohol, folks, is a depressant. 
So it's only, it's not alleviating anxiety or depression. It's exacerbating it. And so, um, I don't know, my, my sole purpose, it went from educating people on wine, you know, making wine regions, wine and food pairings. And now I feel like I'm called to do something else, which is teach people how to drink. I say responsibly. I sound like a fucking like I sound like a, a Budweiser a commercial. Budweiser commercial. It sounds awful, but and remember, folks, drink responsibly. <laughs> you drink. enjoy Bud Light. Exactly. <laughs> it sounds so bad. I hate myself for saying that, but I, it's it's more about abstinence and going. Do I really want this tonight? And can I meditate over this and kind of sip and swirl and go? Okay, is this really what I need? And that's that's it. That's what I'm dedicating my time to right now. And and it might flop and people might hate it, but that's the latest and greatest. Does it feel like this is more of a mission than you've had in any other role? It feels like that right now Mm -hmm. because I was trying to figure out how to marry my not mental breakdown. That sounds heavy struggles and feeling like very isolated. I'm trying to marry that and marry what I've learned and, and, and scratching and clawing out of that hole, marry that with still drinking because that is my, I'm not giving up wine ever. Like it's my job. It's my, my calling. So how, how do you go? Okay. You have to drink almost every day and still maintain a healthy lifestyle. And I think a lot of people, especially here in the United States, are not taught to do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, most people's experience with drinking is the high school or college party on right. Friday or Saturday night. And it's, you know, yeah, it averages out to three drinks a week, but 18 of them happen on one day. Yeah. Well, we're taught to wait until 21. Right. So by that time, we're the pent up demand. We're dying for a drink for a legal drink and then we go out and the 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 thing to do is get absolutely smashed in your 20s and it's such a backwards culture and we also have the culture of working too fucking hard yeah i think um, i think the the data shows that americans take the least uh vacation days of any any country yeah so no wonder we get home and the first thing we want is a whiskey or a glass of wine they're like honey just pour me whatever's i don't even care and we don't even pay attention to drinking it we just slug it down and we have another and that is our culture and that is why we're just we have these issues and this is something that i really wanted to address and felt it was important especially now it it seems more i mean drinking responsibly isn't really it's really more drinking consciously Exactly. It's mindfulness. And that's what I am trying to drink marry to consciousness. That. Drink, drink, like, Instead yeah, of drink, drink to unconsciousness. <laughs> right. Like it's become enlightened through your glass. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Maybe I'll use that. Drink to consciousness. You can use it. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll uh, did I ever tell you, did I ever take my weird alcohol allergy? I don't know if we ever talked about no, this. No, you you have a weird alcohol. After three drinks, my feet itch. Like I've been giving you wine for oh, years. You've never told me this. Oh no, I drink a lot. Oh, okay. But it only Please. ever I can only have like two or three a night. And this is all alcohol. Doesn't matter. Really? Yeah. Yeah. My feet usually and it starts on my left foot, then it goes to my right foot. So it's funny at a bar, if my you'll you'll notice if I've had too many because my shoes are off at a bar. And you're just itching your feet? And they get like uncontrollably itchy. That is so weird. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. Is that a th- like I don't know if I've ever heard of that. I've met one other person in my life that had it. The foot itch but syndrome. I, I look, you know, I grew up in the country and I look like this country bumpkin because I'm in a, like, like a really nice bar and like my feet are like, I try to like hide them under the table or I'm like rubbing them on carpet or like the wood. Yeah. Cause they, they get really itchy if I don't. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. I, well, I don't know. It's, I'll, it's I'll remember thing. that next no, time. No, I love, I love, that's why I love shooting with you. Cause I come home and I'm a hero to my wife. She's like, Oh, you shot with a wine girl. Cause I come home <laughs> Uh, she just knows like, he's the wine girl. You should, you should shoot with her more. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. We'll work for wine. Well, you're in my house. You've noticed that there's there's wine in every nook and cranny. And then, you know, and then some. And then you haven't even checked my fridge. So, mm. you know. As an adult this year, I finally hit one of my adult go- goals, which I have a drink fridge now. 
We have Good a fridge in our you. garage that is like a full size fruit refrigerator. That should, so the kids have their Capri Suns on the bottom and we have wine in the bottom drawer and we have like uh, ciders and then beer on top. I feel like that's how you should measure your success. A drink fridge. Yeah, that's just the fridge in the garage. That's goals. That's just the way to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy about it. Mine will be a cellar, mm. I think. But because, I mean, honestly, yeah. you should be in a castle. You need to be like. Okay. Like a castle with like a whole like bottom floor cellar. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, uh, if anybody is listening, <laughs> please hire me so I can make my castle dreams a reality. <laughs> I don't know where in Texas you're going to do that. But, um, um, I'll figure it out. Yeah, I could see you. I could see you being like, you know, the princess of a castle. The uh, wine, queen. The Thank wine you. Princess. Yeah. Queen. I don't want you. That, that sounds older, though. You're not. Oh, that's fair. I don't well, want you seem like. I'll grow into my queenly okay. duties. Okay. <laughs> are you the jester, or what are you? What are you? Clearly, <laughs> yeah, clearly yeah, the yeah. yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I used to always go as a scarecrow for Halloween because I would just like flail about. Flail about. I was very good at that. Okay. Yeah. I think you still are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the youngest. My my role was was to bring humor to the situation. That yeah. was that was always my. That was how I could, that was my culture. You're the youngest. Okay. So I'm the oldest and mm-hmm. my rule, my role was to bring uh, rules and regulations. Yeah. yeah. My other sister's the same way. She's the rule follower. The worst. My middle sister's the, the high up and down one. I'm trying to be more like you and, and be happy. Like just I was to, just ignored. Just ignore what you're the baby. You're normally like the, mm, the, no. the one that's coddled. No, no. My, my little sister's baby book. You can barely close. My, yeah. My middle sister's is nice. Mine is my birth certificate and just missed. So when they it's got itchy. to you, it's they're, birth certificate and 200 pages of nothing. They just that. gave up. They're they were like, like we'll, we'll, we'll survive. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So I just learned to be like on my own. I grew way out in the country by myself and I had sisters. They played together. They didn't really, you know, play with me as much. And so, I was just off to my end. So I, I read a lot and yeah. I was the latchkey kid. And mm. so this whole quarantine is pretty normal for me. I'm like, oh, I work from home anyway. See, that's how I feel. And I, I think the funny thing is people are going, oh, my God, oh, my God, um, especially the extrovert, which I'm dating one. And it's been difficult for him. But for me and after going through what I've gone through, this doesn't feel, this is, I feel badly for saying this, but this is just not affecting me the same way I think as other, because I've done a lot of work on myself and I'm so used to being isolated and introvert anyway, that this feels, feels fine. And I have enough energy to maybe help other people that maybe don't feel so fine. I have good days and bad. You do. Yeah. I, I'm half introverted, half extrovert. So one of the reasons I love photography is that I have the day where I go and shoot and I can mm-hmm. be wild crazy. And the next day I just edit and I go in that cave and recover. And then the next day I can go okay. and be wild and crazy. Yeah. And the next day I go and like recharge. Yeah. See, I, I do the same thing with teaching. After you teach, especially intensive out. courses, you just talk and talk and talk. You're exhausted. Yeah. And then I come home to my lovely boyfriend who works from home and has been isolated all day. He's ready to talk. He's so, he's, how's your day? How are you doing? What can, what, can we talk? I'm like, I, mm. if I talk to you, bad things, I yeah. will say the worst, meanest things. Yeah. Please, please don't talk to me until tomorrow. And I think it really, I think it puts him off, but, but he's think, fine. I think couples are learning a lot. Yeah. About themselves. I mean, honestly, like my wife and I have been together forever. What year is this? 2020. So we've been together 21 years. Yeah. I'm 41. So I've known her for 36 years. And so like, we're fine. Like we've met, right. It's not, there's not a lot new there, but like I hear from a lot of people and they're like, Oh, I don't know how much longer I can stay with my spouse. I'm like, did you marry the right person? Like, I feel kind of bad for Yeah, them. but, you know, when you sign up for marriage, you also sign up for alone time. And sure. I I still adore who I'm living with. But there are times where I'm like, I need to go far, far away or you need to leave because I'm just not I'm used to having that quiet time. Yeah. And, um, you know. He's, we've both handled it really well. And I mean, you're still going out of the house too, yeah. right? And coming yeah. back. And, yeah. but like we're in one home a lot of the time. And, 
having to figure it out. And I think, I don't know, um, he's definitely learned my ring size and what cut, <laughs> what cut and clarity I would like. So if you're listening, Dane Byer, uh, round cut and, um, no, I'm just kidding. I, well, no, I, you're not that I'm funny. not kidding, but that's funny. Um, so for like your, for your new business, like who's, how are you targeting people? Are you going to target couples? Do you target like what, what's your target so, market for that? Or how do you determine your target market for that? Um, I target it. It's the wine drinkers, right? Sure. So it's everybody above 35 who, um, has enough money to spend on wine mm-hmm. and luxury products. So these, I mean, wine is not a necessity to live. So it's, it's people that have an interest in learning more. Um, and I think my skill set is that I can turn it into something that is not pretentious. I mean, I think every wine educator says that. So I sound like a broken record, but I think if you talk to anybody, um, I can really just be like, listen, this is a party. We're not here to analyze the oak, you know, the barrel treatment and, you know, vinification process, which a lot of people want to talk about. And it's, it's so against what anyone wants to hear. Nobody cares. So I'm here to just give them a little, a few blurbs. And if they want to ask questions, then they can, because I do have that knowledge base and connecting with consumers is something that a lot of high level, you know, wine nerds, um, forget to do. They forget. I mean, who's buying all the wine. It's not us. It's them. What do they want? And connecting with them is something that spirits um, industry is great at doing. And the wine industry just fails miserably at. So it's having that connection, looking into your eyes and going, what do you want to drink? What do you like? What tastes good? What tastes good? And what, you know, what did your friends tell you to buy? And then busting the myths surrounding maybe those bottles that they like or don't. It's so interesting. One of the interesting things about doing these interviews in, in our podcast, I've specifically targeted people that aren't photographers. Um, but what's interesting is how many of the same conversations happen in every art form and almost every business. Like I hear the mm-hmm. same things over and over. And for me, I'm pretty knowledgeable about cameras and lighting. You know, it's kind of what we do. And it's always funny to me people look at a photo and they'll be like, Hey, what some technical question, what aperture were you at? What I, what camera was that shot? Yeah. I'm like, that has zero to do with why it's an impactful photo. Like why did this photo taste good? Right. Rather, why did this photo look good? Mm -hmm. Has nothing to do with the camera I was holding. It could have been shot with 50 different cameras and you wouldn't have noticed the difference. Right. The part that's hard is what position did I put that person in to be able to take that photo? Ah, uh, okay. So it's less about the camera quality and more about the, and, and you're like a lighting God. So I think it's also, I that. mean, the lighting helps. The well, lighting it helps. definitely helps. I mean, it, it, mean, it absolutely helps. It absolutely, it helps. definitely helps. But the questions I ask, the questions I get asked are always technical questions mm-hmm. and they're never by consumers or by your, the people that you're, I mean, by the, obviously you're teaching somebody specifically like people that are interested or starting out or wanting to learn more and and they get so caught up in, in the, how it was made. And they, they kind of forget to be like, why did you make that choice? Uh What went into this process? And I hear the same from you. They, they want to, they want to know how questions, how was this wine made? What barrel was it in? Right. It's more of the, it's more of the teachers or the, the educators want it or the salespeople wanting to tell the people that, Mm. and they have, actually haven't asked they don't care yeah unless like maybe they're really knowledgeable and they went to france and spain and they want to tell you all about how they went through that and how knowledgeable they are because a lot of people want to peacock and tell you which is fine (laughs) yeah but it's all it's really the educators that are shoving that down it'd be like you saying well and i haven't asked this you're taking pictures of me and you're saying well the lighting is you know the aperture but i don't even know the technical jargon but you're telling me this and i'm like uh cool as long as the picture's good i guess well that's 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 the point and so that's the opposite thing and Mm. so it's just it's it's funny because 
it's just the juxtaposition between our our industries, perhaps. I don't yeah. know. Well, no, I think a lot of educators get caught up too. Like when I see other people teaching, like people almost want the formula to make a good picture. Right. And there there isn't. Yeah. I, I want to have a shirt that just says maybe. And I just want to point to it. You know, people's like, well, is F8 the best, you know, whatever to shoot at? I'm yeah. like, maybe. Like, it might well, be for what you're doing. It but. also depends on the natural lighting outside. Does I mean, there's just so many factors that go into creating a good picture. And it's all variable. Just like so many things go yeah, into depends, making a right? good wine. Literally, it depends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people get caught up in the winemaking, in the process of it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, does it taste good or not? Well, does, is this wine impactful to you? Like, exactly. does it make an impression? If not, it doesn't matter how it was made because it obviously didn't matter enough to make an impact on you. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, all the rest is, it doesn't matter in right. the end because nobody's picking um, a wine bottle because they know it's been aged for a certain period of time. They're picking it probably because of the label right. and because of the variety and they're familiar with it or it's their comfort food. It's not about any of the other stuff. It's, it's just, it's ancillary, really. Do you think that to me, and I could be wrong with this, but it seems like there are way more wineries than spirit companies. Yes, that is very true. And Th that's what makes it so intimidating because you don't know what to pick. Agreed. And, but doesn't that also make it harder on the wine industry to do more outreach? Yeah. I mean, it's especially for small producers. If you're not part of a conglomerate, you are struggling, especially now when a lot of the distributors have lost so much money because now their bar and restaurant sales mm. are down. They've laid off their employees. They've dropped smaller producers that maybe aren't their bread and butter. Right. And now these producers go, well, shit. That's my lifeline out. I've lost it. Um, what do I do? And so it's just been, I feel, if I had still, if I was still part of the, the winery, mm -hmm. I'd be terrified right yeah. now. Like, I don't know how these people are making it. I know that they, a lot of them are and a lot of them aren't. And I, it's just, it's just the times, dude. Yeah. So I think it's always so hard for the smaller for whatever reason, right? You're a hardware store and Home Depot moves to town, right? You're the, whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, wine retail, you look at total wine coming in, total wine sells a lot of products at wholesale, mm. wholesale. How do you compete with that? And so they drive other mom and pop shops out of business. Right. Total wine. Don't, don't come for me and sue me. But, um, that's that's literally how they do. They they bring in people with the big brands, sell them at wholesale, and then they go, well, have you seen our other brands that are winery direct brands that I can charge, you know, a 500% markup? Right. And so it's the same, really, in that respect. Um, so this is a segue to always buy local <laughs> in every case, especially because I'm saying it, wine and in the wine world, always pick your mom and pop shop, please. Well, I think I think that goes too with farmers markets and local. Sure. And you know, I think it's more than just wine. Um, also, hire your local photographers, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, it's weird. There's no like big photo companies. You would think there would be, but there's really not that. There's no. no like big player. No. There's manufacturers, yeah. right? They're big players, but it's so hard to develop any kind of critical mass. Yeah. I mean, if you hear of a company that has two, three, four, five photographers, like that's a pretty big company. So much of it is either solo or a husband and wife or a partnership. Um, I don't know. Why is that? So much. It's like, this is going to be a weird analogy, but all my analogies are weird. Photography is very much like stand-up comedy. Mm. And it would be weird to have a stand-up comedy company. Like group? You, yeah. you see like partnerships a lot. Yeah. Right? You have the straight man and the funny man, right? Yeah. That's been around forever. Yeah. Um, but there's not really, on the performance side, there really isn't a team, more than two. Yeah. Um, because photography is so... It's so much about your stance 
right? A comedian. So think about the, the, the best comedians in the world, right? Um, Chris Rock, right? If Chris Rock is telling a story about himself, it doesn't matter if somebody else, nobody else could tell that story because it's about him. Right. And it's about his stance in his own life. It's his filter of, it's his filtered view of the world. When I take a photo, I, I might have people sitting next to me with the same camera, same lens, everything the same. And we're going to take drastically different photos because we all have a different stance. We all see what looks good to us. And that varies from person to person. So to commodify right. a stance, then that's when you end up in the comedian world. That's when you would end up with the hacks, right? That are just, they're telling the same it's jokes. It's like junk they, food, like throwing out right. things that you might want to hear, but are, yeah, not the, not really going to get the most polarizing response. Right. I see what you're saying. So think about like barbecue. There's another example. The only there's only one barbecue place I can think of that has more than one location and that they're good. And I actually had it for lunch today, which is Rudy's. To me, Rudy's is a B plus, <laughs> which is good. That's high on my scale. Right. And I don't want any barbecue less than a B plus. Okay. And anything that's an A, anytime they open a second location, their quality goes down. Mm. And so I don't know if any barbecue restaurants were like their satellite location is any good, mm -hmm. right? Franklin's, how many locations they have? One, because there's one Franklin, yep. right? Mueller's and Taylor, there's Mueller, right? Like it's his grandson or great nephew that's running it now. And it's a, it's it's his stance on how it should be smoked. And to commodify that, you couldn't find somebody else that has his exact taste. That's very true. And yeah. so it's that personal thing, right? Photography yeah. is very personal. I'm in your personal sphere, Yeah, I'm very close. And how do you commodify that? Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I, I th I'm just thinking, of course, I'm thinking about wine because I'm always thinking about wine, <laughs> but it's really what happened. So um, a lot of small producers or even producers that have gained quite a following, they get acquired eventually, right? inevitably by the giants who offer them several million in order to cash out, which if I were them, I'd probably do the same thing. But what ends up happening a lot of times, um, and this happens in all industries, is the soul is lost and the quality goes down, perhaps not to the consumer, but maybe to the professional who's analyzing it. And these wines used to start off that, you know, they were great. They were age worthy. They were complex. And now it's part of a, uh, like a, a chemical equation in order to get, it's part of a recipe and wine is not a recipe. So I can name several examples of things that have kind of blown up and they're not as good. And now they're, um, tampered with, with dyes. Like you put, food coloring there and sugar in order to make them more appealing to a customer who loves sugar. Right. And you really just don't have a, a an artisan craft product anymore. You have right. mass produced. Right. Swill is a harsh word, but you know, a mass produced product that tastes good to the average consumer. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think the beauty of finding that artisan is that they can take chances. Yeah. Right. And when those chances hit. Yeah. That's when they get bought. Right. And uh, yeah. Once because they receive enough attention and uh, yeah, once they have a style that everybody likes and they've, yeah, that's, and that's what made them famous. Mm -hmm. Then other guys go, Ooh, I, they look tasty. I want them in, under my portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the role of all uh, one of my favorite business courses. It's not the, in this case, it kind of is, but it's not the big that eat the smallest, the fast that eat the slow. Right. But the smaller companies generally can move it's faster the, and it's not the, try new things. The big that eat the smallest, the fast that eat the slow. Different. So if you're big and fast, you can still you can eat the small and slow. But right. if, you're, if you're small, you have to be very fast. You have to be very nimble. Right. Um, but I think as being something small, you can take more chances. Oh, 100%. You have yeah. more freedom. I mean, we we know it probably better than Will you ever go to work for somebody anyone. else? Oh, the loaded question. Um, Would you be a good employee working for somebody else? I'm a great employee. <laughs> I'm loyal. I'm efficient. Um, I'm, I work my ass off. And 
but I love freedom and, but I like money too. So it's just one of those things where if the opportunity maybe was contract or, um, we had an agreement that guaranteed a certain amount of autonomy, then I'm all in. And I definitely look, I look every week because I'm always like, huh, what's out there and what could supplement whatever I'm already doing now. I'm not, you know, thriving with hundreds and thousands of dollars coming in. That's just not the reality currently, especially having to start over. But, um, you know, I'm open to interesting partnerships and possibilities. I'm always looking for Tuesday money, right? So much of my work is Friday, Saturday. Yep. That that's kind of full. And so for me, it's looking for Tuesday money. Exactly. Well, in this industry, it's like, okay, I want a wine class Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I'm just like, uh, so I've been teaching, um, wine certification courses on Mondays and Tuesdays and people come after work and it's from six to nine. So it's a little later, but that's nice. That's, that's exactly just my not class on, Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's exactly mine. Yeah. It's perfect because it's not a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. We teach know? at Precision, which is, you know, Anderson. Lane. I love so, Precision. So Central Austin. And so six o'clock. And I know that everybody's going to be five or 10 minutes late getting to, through traffic. Yeah. And then, yeah, we go to like nine, nine thirty. That's fine. I love, yeah. I love going in there. I, the, I'm probably going there next. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I have to go buy a memory card reader because I didn't bring one and I have to get a project done. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I love, I love them. Yeah. I'm, when, when, it, when everything's fully running, I'm usually there like three or four, three or four days a week. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I'm usually there, like teaching class like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then all yeah. my work is like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Fine. I know. Similar schedule, right? Yeah. Yeah. But for me, it provides a balance, which is I take my kids to school. Right. I pick my kids up from school. I get my work done while they're at school. And then my wife's a teacher. And so the weekends can be hard. Yeah. I mean, definitely. But her, her position is only two thirds. So she always has a day off every week. And so okay. we're able to go. We do a lot of lunch dates because she just knows that on weekends I'm probably not around because that's when my work generally is. So. I mean, that's great that you've been able to make that work. It's the same thing. Like it's we, hard. It's, it is hard. It's hard to explain, you know, why you're not going to be at somebody's birthday party or yep. what have you. Um, and if I don't have kids, but anything that my kids are doing, it would have been like, it's, it's heartbreaking sometimes to have to miss that in the, in the name of making a living. But yep. With that, you know, you have pros and cons and the massive pro to all of this is like, you can kind of do whatever you can set your own schedule. I can't you be can laid take off. Take your own. Yeah. You can't lay off yourself, yeah. which is great. Um, Scary, but great. Yeah. I know. But you can, you know, if maybe you want to take a vacation or do something, yeah. you, you're the master of your own schedule. And that's. Yeah. That's valuable. Very valuable. No, absolutely. And and having that flexibility, like when the kids are sick, they just stay home with dad. Yep. Like there's no, it's fine. Yeah. There's no struggling. Like, oh, you're not working. Oh, I got to call in and like, oh, like find somebody to cover. I know. Myself. Like none of that. Just like, oh, they're, they're, they're on with me. Yeah. And so being, being a dad is like very high on my priority list. Um, and having a schedule that both earns money and has that flexibility. It took me several, several, several years to get to that point. But, um, I, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything right now. Like yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah, I know. So what's your actual business model? Is it just, <laughs> I'm kind of curious here. I'm like, are uh, you going to be just teaching classes or I mean, how? So I am a fan of several income, sure. or several um, ways to earn income because if one dies, there's another one out there. And in the case of, you know, what happened to me, I kept, my educator role at the Texas Swine School. And Mm. thank God that I did because that's my main source of income now. So, um, yes. So I teach certification classes, um, wine certifications, levels one through three through them. And then I teach um, consumer courses through Vintrigue. Um, And that also includes staff training, which I've 
actually done for the past six weeks um, at various locations. And what are you saying, like restaurant staff, that kind of thing? Yeah, I did a retailer. So my old retailer has three locations okay. and they hired me for staff training, which is really great. Um, so I do that virtual wine courses, whatever. Um, and then I've also started mentoring and doing um, diploma tutoring because okay. there's a lot of people who are taking the program I just took, which is the highest level under a certain London based wine organization. So what level of stuff are you? I, uh, okay. You're always studying for some, some know, exam. And I, I never know, know where it's you are. Stupid. Well, not anymore. Um, I am uh, level four. So WSET level four, What's Wine WSET? and Spirit Education Trust. And that's okay. a London, it's the okay. oldest wine organization okay. in the world. And um, it's the precursor for Master of Wine, which um, a lot of people have seen the documentary Psalm mm -hmm. on Netflix and they know what that is. So Master is the highest level. And um, I am definitely preparing to enter that program, but it's uh, like five to 10 years of your time just Jeez. based on if you, you know, pass everything, which. And then what do you do with that? Go back to the same thing you were doing? Well, what, what door does that's, it open? That's the thing is it's looking for the motivation because a lot of people approach master and they, I've talked to so many people who want to do this mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, okay, well, why do you want to, why do you want to do it? I always ask for motivation. I hear the following. Number one, um, I want respect. Okay. Um, I want doors to open for me whenever I, um, go somewhere. I want people to stop talking when I start talking. I want, yeah, I want any job I want in the wine world. And I have, um, I have a very strong opinion on that. Yeah. Uh, even just getting diploma and thinking, well, maybe with this, I'll be able to get any job I want. It is not about your certification is hundred percent about your experience. Yeah. And I have people like with lower level certifications going for same jobs that masters are going for. And also masters were the first ones laid off in this whole thing because they had the <laughs> highest paying jobs. You know, they demanded the most money. So it's kind of funny because you really have to go through it. I'm really trying to do some soul searching and go, do I really want to do this? Because it's so much time. It's so much commitment. And ultimately it has to be done for the sake of learning yeah. and teaching. I love to teach. So how do you impart it? And I think that's a, it sounds pretentious, but I've, it feels like a pure way of going about it rather than just going for the fame and the glory yeah. and being one of, you know, 400 people to have this certification of the world, you know? So it, that's, that's the thing you got to figure out. It, again, it's so funny. So in my world, there's something called PPA, right? Professional Photographers of America. Uh -huh. Great organization. I've been a member for a long time, but they have all these certifications and it's like, here's our formula for taking this type of photo. Here's our formula for taking that type of photo. Oh, and they standardize can, it. I mean, it's a standardized learning. Like here's, right. here's what short lighting is. Here's what broad lighting is. Here's what butterfly lighting is. And so it's teaching you the fundamentals. And then there's like all these certifications and people always ask me like, Oh, are you a PPM or have you done and got all this, this and that? I'm like, no, no. Like I, I already know how to do I already it. Do it. Like, yeah. I, what? Yeah. I mean, I thought about doing it just to do it, but it's never been something that's going to change my business. Well, also consumers don't understand. They don't, they don't know. They're not going like, oh, are you PPA certified in this? Like right. we don't look at that. We yeah. have no, yeah. we don't know anything about that. Yeah. No, no, you're exactly right. Interesting. And the other things people always ask me like, oh, well, you should go to back to school and get your MBA. And I'm like, I hate when people say that. Why? Like I've been running my own business for 12 years. I like hate that. in what way? It's just so not helpful. Well, and as though that knowledge only exists inside that program. Right. So I read a lot. Yeah. I can read any book I want. Guess what books I can read? All the books they sign you an MBA. Yeah. So unless it was for like specific. Now, if I worked in a corporate environment where an MBA was the checkbox to move up a promotion level or get to that next rung. Yeah, but that's corporate. Exactly. But for running, I've already, I've already gone through so much fire. Yeah. And but downtimes, like I could teach an MBA class on like survivorship. Well, 
So, so you have no certifications, but all of the experience. Mm. And the funny thing is a lot of people enter the wine field and go, okay, I'm miserable in my tech job. Mm-hmm. I'm having a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. How do mm-hmm. I figure out a new source of income slash how do I get happy because I'm not? Mm-hmm. And they, I hear the same conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah it's, it's always the artistic, you know, we're always going to hear it. And so um, they take these certification courses. They go through them. Um, they get to the top. And they've essentially spent a few years climbing to the highest rung with the full expectation that just the knowledge about wine is going to catapult them into a wine career. And I'm, and and I'm like, well, what do you want to do? They're like, well, I want my own retail shop. I want to import I'm like, dude, don't we all like <laughs> that's exactly what you think of yeah. when you think of um, the the dream jobs. But these jobs, they come with a lot of things that only experience can. T- you know, you, you once you've worked in retail, you're going to understand what working in retail is. Once you're you know traveling and working with importers or distributors and suppliers, that's a whole it's not just you know, roses and butterflies, right. you know, and I think it's so funny, like trying to coach people through and going, there's definitely a way, but you're going to have to have the full experience of the wine industry. You can't just learn the sub communes of Burgundy and, you know, <laughs> and go from there. Keep talking more about weird soil regions. Come oh, on, yeah. Let's go. So um, Burgundy has a, a patchwork <laughs> of soils. No, nobody gives a shit. I think so many people want to be Harry Potter. In the um, sense, I want to be Harry Potter. Well, in the sense that they want to be the chosen one. Yes. Well, right, plucked out of obscurity, and somebody is going to discover them, and their life will yep. be different after discovery. Don't you? I gave up the subway. <laughs> and so it's funny when you say open doors. And my mentality is, whose door do I need to kick down? Yeah. And I have no compunction about picking up the phone and calling somebody and being like, literally one of my clients, I tell the story all the time. He, he was, he's a very braggadocious type person, which is fine. He has a very successful business and he hired me to do one thing. And I showed up and I started looking at the photos of his products on the wall. I was like, you show these two people. <laughs> he was like, what? I was like, you think these are good? He was like, who are you? I was like, give me one chance. I'll show you who I am. He says, go for it. They've been a client of mine for like five years now. That's so funny. Now, some of that is just mirroring their own. I wouldn't do that to everybody. No, but you have that to was, read your that was, his, that was his language. Yeah. Um, it's like uh, people like that like to be bested. Right. And that's right. a very common theme in my industry. too. But so I, I was talking to a friend of mine and she she went and got a master's, um, master's of fine art MFA in photography. Mm-hmm. $100,000 degree. Yeah. Zero classes on business. Yep. Zero. Yep. None. And it still boggles my mind. What's up, Petra? It still boggles my mind because <laughs> here you have somebody giving you this secret knowledge. Mm-hmm. Not really secret, but secret knowledge. And then no way to recoup that investment. Like none. As though, as though just the skill of knowing is going to make you a successful business person. Exactly. It's, it's so much more than having the knowledge. It's, it's understanding the industry as a whole and how it clicks. And it's the same. I mean, master of wine costs 80 grand, probably minimum. And people go, that's what I want. That's what I want to be. Especially when they've caught the wine fever. And I'm like, all right, well, you're in addition to that, like you, you're now you're going to be searching for jobs that can afford you. And that's, those are really hard to find. And those are super competitive and they often come with guess what? Years of experience. So it's just, it's a fine line, especially certifying people and seeing their big hopes and dreams and not wanting to ever, ever um, dismiss those, but wanting to mentor them and go, okay, here are your options. 
we all had the same dreams getting into wine, but this is the reality. I hate when people say this is the real world, but this is the reality of what you'll, you might have to accomplish mm-hmm. unless you're really independently wealthy. And, um, that's okay. Like part of the fun in mastering wine, it's a, you know, I have Daniela masters wine. It's not about going through the master's program and learning about, you know, yeah, soil types and, and oak barrel, whatever, um, cooperage methods. It's about also mastering each individual industry within and going, okay, this is retail. This is distribution. This is, these are consumers. This is how to approach people. And it's just been so fun. It's been so fucking fun. Let me, let me ask you this. What class should they be teaching that they aren't? Um, okay. Well, I'm hoping that somebody is listening who wants to fund me for this project because I want to come up with a consumer oriented certification program. Most of the people that go through WSET or court of masters or whatever other certification programs are available. A lot of them are industry folk, but in my field in WSET field, a lot of them, 90, I'd say 90% of the people I teach are consumers mm-hmm. and they're not gearing these courses towards consumers. What I'd really love to do is start a, like a, I don't know how to call it, maybe a collector's level one, two, three, but maybe you just want to buy really good wine. Maybe you want to um, buy it for your friends. Maybe you want to know what's great for your seller. Maybe you want to know what's great bang for your buck. They don't teach you this. They teach yeah. you how to taste it and, you know, you know, Experience gr- it. how to grow grapes and how to train them and et cetera. They teach you all the jargon, but they don't actually teach you how to apply. And that's what I want to teach. And it's so interesting you say the word apply this whole time in my mind. When I think about a car, right? I think the knowledge, right, is like building these bigger and bigger and bigger engines. Mm -hmm. But we always leave the transmission. So we have all this knowledge and no way to transfer it actually to the wheels. Right. Right. So there's no... They're teaching so much about engine building. We never actually get to transmitting that power into something useful. And yeah. that's why I was asking like, what classes. And that's interesting, you know, for like art, right? So one of our clients is Blant Museum. Oh, cool. And they do a lot with, as they're like, as your early donor, they start having events and stuff and bringing in speakers to, so you can get more educated on appreciating the art. Because they figure as you know more art and as you appreciate it more, then you'll give back more. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. That's so brilliant. Yeah. So things like that. But it's something like that where, right, the more you know about wine, the more you're going to buy. Well, exactly. And And so it would be smart for manufacturers to fund something like that. I know. So that people like, oh, I'm a a wine appreciator level one. I'm a wine appreciator or whatever you call it. But And, and, you know, being in... So... (laughs) I worked in retail Uh at the same time I was teaching these courses and I would always buy the wines that I was pouring at these classes from the retailer because I would get a price break and people would go, where did you get this? And then they would go drive to the retailer and get this. So I think that there's a total disconnect in actually talking to the consumer. If it's like somebody with money, like a huge conglomerate, we have, people like Gallo and Constellation, et cetera, et cetera. If they would fund these and then would use their own wines in these certification courses, maybe not all, that's not really fun for me because then I don't have the whole portfolio available, but it would be such a great idea to do that and then start your certification, appeal to consumers because we have to start talking to them rather than at them. It's just yeah. what we have to do. Well, I think what people are really wanting is certainty, right? There's so much uncertainty yep. in wine. Yep. And there's so much uncertainty in art. Yep. Right. And wine's just a type of, it's just art. It is distilled. art in a bottle. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there's so much uncertainty, right? Yep. Do, I, do I really like this? Does it really speak to me? Yep. And I could be talking about a wine bottle. I could be talking about something hanging on the wall. Like, does it, do I really respond to that? But then having the language to talk about it, having mm-hmm. the ideas to talk about it. But how many times do, are they actually paying you for your taste or for your certainty about your taste? It's also, I love this question because it reminds me of that podcast I was telling you about. We, in the wine world, we are paid for our certainty. Mm -hmm. I'm paid to go, this is this, and this is how you should feel about it. Whereas 
when I show up, I, that's not how I operate at all. And people go, Oh, and they relax and have a good time. And I develop clients that way or repeat customers. But it is all about being the voice of authority and going, this is, you know, this is the way things are. And because consumers don't know and you can tell them anything. So it's backing off from that voice, allowing people to speak, but also giving them a way to use their knowledge to apply it to what they like. And as you're saying, like you've spent 20, like 20 bucks on something that you might not like. It's like Russian roulette at the store, giving them the, the tools to have more certainty themselves about what they're picking up. That's, that's the money, dude. Literally this morning, I was I was shooting cars for one of our clients mm-hmm. and somebody that's that I do a lot of education with. She was like, hey, I need a new tripod. And I was like, oh, I really like this brand. Try this line. See which fits. She goes, well, what do you use? And I took a picture of mine. She goes, cool. Ordered it. Yeah. And like, no, and so that, that's what that's what asked me. That question is like, you're the voice of authority. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't even mean it to be that way. Yeah. I was like, this is what I like. This is the name of the company. This is what they look like. Yeah. But f- in those, in that realm, find the one that works for you. And it was just, well, if it's good enough for you, I just want that. Right. But the, I guess that's how it's worked for everything. Like if yeah. you have a high level certification or um, a degree in something, they're, you're the voice of authority. It's like doctors, right. you know, they're specialized. They're going to be like, cut your foot off and you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to cut it off. Right. And without seeking, we're so programmed to do that without questioning it, without, you know, kind of figuring out what we need or want mm. that we're, we're kind of blind to that stuff. So it's the same, same thing. And I guess maybe every industry, I don't know. I mean, I think that's also why there's like the celebrity endorser, Yep. Right. Where and for each yep. each industry has their own celebrities, but they're like, oh, well, that person's really well known. If it's good enough for them, it's good yep. enough for me. In in whatever you're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I think we've entered an age where we're all able to rate things online and give our voice, give our opinion. Um, a lot of consumer ratings are what we look at. So really, we have evolved, um, and we we are less of we're more communal about how we respond, which is, I agree with that. Yeah. Which is great. And it's great in a lot of ways. And then maybe detrimental in some ways, because people look at ratings from a, a, a bunch of people who really don't have qualifications to rate and accept that as the norm. And, and that is what it is. We're, we're just in that realm and it, or for somebody new to even get a rating. Right. If you're if you're starting out, how do you get your signal above the noise? Right. Blogs, fucking, you know, Instagram, social media. That's how people are doing it. And they're the voice of they're the celebrity endorsers. now. Yeah. So for your businesses, is it what what's your what's your marketing going to be? Is it more? Is it in person? Is it social media? Like what what's going to be the engine of your marketing? So I do a lot of social media in order to keep people aware that I exist. (laughs) So it's more of like, look, you know, I'm around, I'm around, I'm teaching, I'm doing this. And I find that that coupled with actually showing up and marketing in person has been good enough to keep me afloat. Um, It's a lot of word of mouth. So once people actually go, Oh, I can endorse her because I've had her class. It was great. Now I'm going to tell, you know, Billy Bob or whoever that she, he needs to hire her for the next event. And that's been really helpful, but it's really the social media that allows me to connect with people I already know so that if they have their next event, they're like, Oh yeah. Are you doing like an email list or anything like that? I don't have an email list because it's so sporadic. It's like, I'm teaching a certification class here. Then I'm doing a private class here. Then I have a, you know, a private class for a corporation that nobody else can go to. So it's, it's really been hard to do that, but I'm trying to actually set up an online retreat where I will be able to get, um, you know, traction and get, collect people's contact information so that they can keep doing that. That's what the rebranding has been about. I'm trying to teach a, a wine and wellness retreat 
that will be spread over a few days and they'll be able to connect and gotcha. there'll be a virtual community. Gotcha. Yeah. Virtual community building is so hard. People are getting so burned out about one more zoom call, one more anything. I know I'm, I'm, I don't blame them. Yeah. I don't blame them. I'm my trying kids, to like my kids had four zooms a day with their teachers. And yep. by then they, they're just like out of their minds. Yeah. They're just like, I can't. And we're not programmed to sit at a and look at a screen. You know, we're programmed to ourselves. be. Yeah. 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 That's been, that's rough. And hear our own voices like that fed back to us. Like it's kind of weird. I didn't even think about that, but mm -hmm. yeah, you, maybe there's, it takes, it takes way more brain energy to, to see yourself. Cause then you're modulating how you look as long as well as what you're saying. Oh yeah. And so it actually, I'm trying to like look. The yeah. The feedback loop is much more energy intensive. Mm, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Also, That's why I'm really glad you're not filming me right now. Yeah, no, I think, I think <laughs> conversation flows much easier that way. Yeah. There's a, and there's a different etiquette in, in talking online through a zoom or through a Google meet or through a Skype than there is in a person. Yep. Yeah. No, you're totally right. Yeah. It, I mean, we've had to market zoom classes and while they took off in the beginning, I mean, I have a Zoom class coming up and man, it's a struggle and it's for charity. And I'm like, dude, it's for charity. Please sign up. Yeah. And it's it's such a great, it's something near and dear, but it's really been hard. So we've done kind of a blended approach. We've done, yeah. So for some of our classes, um, so the classes we're teaching are all outdoors. So that helps. But um, like for our last Milky Way class, we did the classroom portion virtual mm -hmm. and then we went to a location and we were in groups of three and four spread out over half mile of this lake. And so we were able to social distance for the shooting part, but still kind of, you know, you can still yeah. talk to each other, but then the classroom portion was virtual. And so that was a fun, like That's nice. that was a good blended version. So we weren't in the same room indoors, you know, breathing each other's air in a classroom. But then when we could need to go outside and do the practical part, we could still be out and about. Right. So that, that's, that's kind of been our, our current class model. That's a great idea. And we, we had, I mean, for the Texas Swine School, for the certification courses, we canceled a lot of them even when they were halfway done. And we were like, okay, well, we're either going to do virtual, move to that, or reconvene. Later, And the problem with that is when people are taking a wine certification class, they have to taste. Yeah. And they're splitting the cost of those bottles right. with the people oh, who are man. in person. So how do you do that? It's been so hard. And so I just waited. Yeah. I, you know, people were like, well, are you going to teach on Zoom? I was like, it's going to take me so long to get you tiny bottles of the right. shit that you need to taste. It's such a waste of time. The other thing that I think that that doesn't occur in Zooms, it doesn't occur on, you know, the WebExes of the world. It's that water cooler time. It's that in-between time as you're walking to the next classroom together, as you're taking that 10-minute break. Oh, yeah. And that's honestly where a lot, like any conference I've been to, the value has never been necessarily the class I was taking. But it was that I was in a room with people that self-selected to take that class. And then I was walking with them somewhere else. And yep. that's where the connection was made. Yeah. And it wasn't about the class itself. It was about, yeah, it's about connecting with people. And it's about getting their, you know, email address or their telephone number and being like, do you, we like this. We're weird together. Can yeah. we yeah. collaborate? Or I, I agree. And that's why I waited and yeah. I'm doing social, socially distanced classes now. And I just... I like looking into people's eyes and I like that it's, there's a, a specific connection that you lose when you're in front of a screen yeah. that you, you have when you're like, Hey, you know, swirl this sniff, sniff this. What do you feel? And you know, you vibe off people that way. And you can read their body language. You can read their eyes. You can read all exactly. that stuff. So much of you, they estimate 90% of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I so you lose so much of that. Yep. Yeah. And our kids are not learning how my kids are not learning how to read that right now because they're not. Yeah. So it sucks. Yeah. It's school. School isn't about the content. It's about learning how to be in a classroom. Mm -hmm. It's about learning how to be in a group and going on a journey with that group. It's very, very little has to do with sentence structure, right? Like that stuff you can acquire. It's all the other things, smashing a bunch of people together. That's the value. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Danielle, this has been a good hour of your time. And, um, has it been an hour? Yeah, it's been an hour. Oh, great. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Is there any like shout outs you want to throw out? Uh, um, 
shout outs um shout out to my boyfriend who's in the next room and is being very patient with us um shout out to my mother who is the best and is currently in the texas hill country probably drinking wine well jealous maybe if it's past noon maybe um and yeah, shout out to anybody who might want to <laughs> hire me. Uh, <laughs> that would be great. Um, I'm really fun, um, fun to work with and for and collaborate um, with. So I, I just appreciate, I don't know, I, I just appreciated talking to you for an hour. So it doesn't have to go anywhere. I just really liked that. That was great. I liked that a lot. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Well, this has been episode 12 of the Make, Make, Make podcast. I want to give a shout out to all of our Patreons um, who support us. Um, that's been a fun journey. Um, and as always, if you all have recommendations of other artists and other people who are doing cool things, uh, please send them to me um, so that we can uh, find all the cool people we can to talk to. Uh, I hope you have a great weekend and we'll talk to you all soon.